Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 final hour of the show. Uh, just again, a reminder, Drancer and I are off next week. Canucks Central will be in this time slot with Satyar Shah and Dan Riccio. Uh, former Canucks GM Dave Nonis coming up here momentarily. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on the playoffs and uh, talk about the GM's role in the playoffs a little bit. Some of his memories from his time as an executive as well and uh, now joining us he is former Canucks general manager and a longtime NHL executive Dave Nonis. Dave thank you as always how are you? I'm good thanks how are you guys making out? We're doing great we are really really enjoying uh, the first round of the playoffs I can tell you that much is it as exciting for you as it is for us when it rolls around? Yeah it's been great I mean you you look forward to it uh for months on end, so when it gets here, I think you're pretty excited about it. There's been some interesting uh, games, obviously, some a little more lopsided yep. than uh, than expected, but overall, I think that the, the games have been have been good and entertaining. So, you know, we spend a lot of time in other parts of the year, whether it's the summer or leading up to the trade deadline, kind of talking about things that fall under a GM's purview, right? Whether it's uh, roster decisions, trades, free agency, anything like that. When the playoffs shift, the focus because, or when the playoffs come here, uh, the play the focus becomes much more about the coaches and the players. So I'm kind of curious, you know, what what does a GM's role entail when the playoffs roll around? And you know, the rosters are set, the coach is there. What what are you doing behind the scenes in this time? You know, n- not a lot. You're trying to support the the players and coaches the best you can. Um, you know, once you start a playoff round, you're going to have contact with the series supervisor, um, and, and that's that's really up to you. You can meet with a supervisor every day if you want. Uh, you know, the day following a game, post game, uh, you can you know, talk about things that you you'd like changed or you you would you want them to focus on. Uh, you know, maybe it's they're they're bumping our goalie a little bit much. You know, I want you to I want you to instruct the officials to. Uh, to watch watch for that um, you know and everyone's different like I said when I was working at the league uh, Lou Amarillo didn't want to talk to anybody he, he was uh, he was if I got a problem I'll come find you you don't need to see me every single day and other GMs want to have that contact with the supervisor um, every single day and, and I think that for a couple reasons sometimes they they do have some uh, real you know gripes that they want to pass along other times they think they might be able to sway the officiating, which I can tell you that doesn't work, but I know that some people <laughs> think it does. Um, so it, it's that, that's what you, you know, you really, really do. I mean, you're, you, as you said, you can't change the roster. You're not going to coach the team yourself. You, you're going to support the coach and offer your opinions as to what's going right and what's going wrong. But uh, for the most part, the manager is almost helpless. Uh, and his, his job is basically to, to deal with the league and, and try to get uh, any kind of issues that you want ironed out in front of them. So as you said, you know, trying to sway the referees is not going to work. And yet we often see whether it's GMs or coaches, you know, I, I saw it just uh, today in the Dallas, Minnesota series, there's accusations of diving going back and forth. And, you know, of course I can think of one very famous press conference uh, from Brian Burke here in Vancouver talking about, uh, about the treatment the Sedins were getting in the corners in that playoff series, among other things, like if it's not going to sway the refs, what leads to those kinds of public pleas to the league and to the officials? Is it, is it just out of frustration or is it directed at your team more than anything else? What's the thought process behind that? 
Well, I mean, first of all, let me remind you, we lost that series, so it didn't, <laughs> that press conference didn't, didn't help. Um, but, uh, you know, listen, sometimes it is out of frustration. Sometimes it's, it's telling your players that you're supporting them uh, and that, you you know, you believe that, that they've been wronged and you want to, you know, you're not just going to take it. Um, and, I, you know, I think that the, the conversation you can have directly with the supervisor or if you have to, you can talk to Coley Campbell or Stephen Walkham. You know, those calls are made as well. Um, when I say you're not going to sway the officiating, I, I just think now, you know, the way these officials, they want to work the, the second round and the third round. They don't want to just work the first round because it's, you know, quite frankly, it's that's there's extra money involved for them and a, and also, you know, improves their rankings and, and all the things that, you know, they want uh, in terms of building your career. So they're going to they're going to officiate to the best of their ability and for a manager to come out and say, you know, I don't, you know, I think that we're, we're being held or they're running our goalie. It might make you feel a little bit better saying it publicly. I don't think it does sway the officials. And I think that if you do have a legitimate gripe, you can make it in private. And, and, you know, again, the word legitimate is important. If, if it is legitimate, the league will look at it and they will, you know, they will instruct um, officials to uh, monitor or be, mindful of certain situations and i'll give you an example uh you know Corey perry we had him in anaheim for years i guarantee you every single playoff series that we were in the opposition general manager said watch out for Corey perry bumping the goalie every single time uh and that's because Corey's good at it and so they wanted him to have have the you know the officials to be able to look at that a little bit closer and you know possibly get a power play sometime during the series because of it yeah, I, I was watching Corey Perry last night and thinking to myself, the fact that he behaved like this and was also an elite player at one point <laughs> must have been so infuriating. Yeah, I, I think it probably was. Like, he was, <laughs> like you said, this is a this is a guy that uh, went on top of his game was one of the best goal scorers in the league. You got to give him credit; he's still playing and yeah. he still is effect, effective to some extent. You know, given where he's playing and and his his uh, his age. Yeah, it's been an amazing career for Corey Perry. Um, Dave, when we see those press conferences, when we see those expressions uh, of frustration from team executives, um, are they ever in part calculated not to sway the officials at all, but just to deflect from pressure on the players on the ice? Sure. Yeah, there's different reasons for, for those to happen, and some of it is. Like I said, supporting the players is, is uh, one thing, but your point is a good one. Sometimes that support is, is deflecting the pressure and just allowing them to try to get back in and, and refocus and resettle and, uh, and not have to worry about uh, all the things that are being discussed. Uh, I think if the, if the players or coaches are talking about you know, being held, being slashed, goalies being bumped, it, it, it can impact their focus. They don't need, you know, they don't need to be talking about it. You know, like I said, I never felt that I would benefit from it personally, but um, some some managers do. And, and I think it's, if you are going to say something publicly, it shouldn't be the, it should not be the players. It should not be the coach. That's for sure. I think that uh, they got enough to focus on in the playoffs other than, you know, worried about the, the way the game's being officiated. Does the fact that the die is cast in some ways from the general manager's perspective make this a fun type of a fun time of year or a 
or add to the challenge uh, of sort of, um, you know, you're part of the team, you built the team, but at, at this point in the season, it, it's kind of about execution on the ice, which you don't necessarily influence directly. Yeah, no, it is it is a fun time of the year. I mean, the postseason, it's for me, it was it was the best. You love you love being around the team, you love being around the rink, you know, the feeling of, of uh, playoff hockey in the city. It's it is the best time of the year. Um, but because you can't influence, it's also some of the most frustrating times of the year as well. You can't make a trade, you can't you can't help uh, in any way improve the on ice product. You've already done all you can do. And the one thing that managers will start well not start they will do from you know from the first playoff game on is you're evaluating as well. You want to see which players rise to the occasion, which players can't handle that pressure. Uh, you know how does your goaltender handle it? Uh, playing on the road, playing at home. So there's a there's a lot of evaluation that goes into it. And you know when you talk about signing a player or trading for a player, I mean you guys you guys do it all the time. I'm sure. You talk about him, he's a proven playoff performer. He's mm-hmm. a guy you can count on. He's a, he's a player that raises his level of play. And, you know, so those are those are things you you look for in your team and in, in, you know, the other teams that are playing around you. Because, as you know, you're you're always trying to acquire people, uh, whether it's, you know, by a trade or free agency. So you want to, you know, you want to evaluate as it goes along. Dave, it's always, often said at this time of year as, as the – playoffs go along and yet the offseason looms in the imagination of well certainly Canucks fans um that this is a copycat league right that everyone's watching at this time of year and there are things that will be cribbed taken copied uh, over the course of the next offseason fact or fiction uh no I think that's fact yeah I think to some extent that's fact um you know the problem with with that is that you can't change your team in one offseason so some, you know, sometimes it takes you two or three years to, to to create a team that won three years ago, and by then, you know, <laughs> you might be a different setup that actually is successful. Um, but I, I do believe that that's that's largely correct. I mean, I, I, there's certain there's certain things that you look at uh, that I, I think aren't going away and will be part of every championship team. Whoever wins a cup this year. I think is going to have a solid back end. It's going to have a heavy back end. Like size is still important. You don't have to have all big defensemen, um, but you know, look at you know how how did uh, the, the Tampa look last night with Hedman and Chernak out of the lineup? Um, they those are two heavy heavy bodied players. Uh, so you know those that that's a type of thing that I think you can um, you know, mirror or, or copy from other teams. And I, and I think most teams are looking at that. You can have a small defenseman. You can have a Gerard in the lineup if you're if you're Colorado, but you also need to have a Josh Manson. You need to have so, those other uh, elements. So, copycat, I believe that's true. But if you think you're going to change your team over in one summer to copy the team that wins this year, it, it's it, it's not going to work. I think it has to be a, a a principle that you're going to build your team by. And yes, you can shift as you go along, but you have to have that game plan in place and you're not going to be able to just copy the winner this year and, and, and try to shift your team over the summer. And, you know, is it when you're kind of thinking about the style that your team is going to play and the types of players you're going after, as you said, if, if, if you're just chasing what the last winning team did, you are on the risk of being two, three, four years behind. And I think, you know, even when you look at recent history in the NHL, there have been different styles of teams that have won. Is it more important just to kind of, choose a style stick to that something your coach is comfortable with something that 
that matches what the players that you already have can do and pursue that and try to execute it at a high level rather than saying, okay, there's one type of game that can win and we need to, you know, throw out a roster and get those types of players. No, I think that there's more than one. I mean, and you're right. There's different uh, teams are built different ways, but the teams that ultimately have long-term success, they might have something that is their cornerstone about how they're going to play and how they're going to be built. You know, they, all, all the good teams, I would say, have that, that cornerstone piece or pieces and, and a mindset of how they're going to play. But I also would say that even the best teams, even if they have a style that they want to play, if they're going to win, they're going to be able to play against and like any other team, any other style. So, you know, the teams that, that are successful, I'll use Colorado again last, last year. If you wanted to play a hard game, they had enough size they could do it. You wanted to play a skill game, they obviously had enough skill to do that. And so they're, you know, they didn't rely on just grinding you out defensively. They could, they could play pretty sound defensive hockey and they had, you know, they had all the other elements as well. So I think if you're, if you're focusing solely on one thing, you're probably not going to have long-term success, but you do, you have to have some kind of a hallmark that you're building your team around. You've been uh, an executive and a GM for, you know, some teams that were, I would say, more kind of offensively and, and skill and speed focused. And you've been some for that uh, the GM for some that were very, you know, rough and tumble and, uh, and and big and tough. Did you feel differently going into the playoffs, right? Whether your team was more on the speed end of the spectrum or the toughness end of the spectrum, were you more confident if you had that kind of uh, really tough team going into the playoffs? No, it, listen. I think you need some toughness, and the game has involved has evolved dramatically since I, you know, first started in the league. There's no question about it. Um, and I think toughness is different now than it was, you know, 15 years ago. Mm. Uh, I believe you need to have some toughness. You need to have someone that can support uh, your players. Um, but you can't win with this in this league without skill. You can't. It's an, it's impossible. You're not going to grind someone down to the point where you know you're going to be able to beat them just by you know by beating them in the trenches and and finishing every single check and you know there there are teams that can play good defensive hockey the islanders kind of play that that style carolina plays that style but if you don't have skill mixed in with it uh you're not going to be able to to chase somebody off the off the ice anymore that toughness part is still an element and physical play is still an element you know, you had uh, Luke Shen there uh, for quite some time this year. Uh, and, you know, Luke's game isn't what it was when he was uh, 20 years old. But, you know, he was important to that team last night. Mm-hmm. And to be able to, to step up and, and to and to show that they weren't going to be pushed, pushed around. But if he didn't have the rest of those players that were putting up you know, four or five points, it wouldn't have mattered. You know, they still they had enough skill in that lineup that like that's what won them the game. The toughest part was a was an important element, but you know the leaf skill players that that's what that's what drove them to success. Dave, we're basically obsessed at the moment with the Avalanche Kraken series in part because it's being played at warp speed. But one thing we were talking about a little bit earlier was just how much McKinnon played last night, and the Avs who sort of lent leaned so heavily, excuse me, on their depth last year, kind of coming to the realization that against this Kraken team, they're really going to have to ride their best player. We know he turned in a phenomenal game. Just curious, depth or high-end skill, like high-end talent, what's more important at this time of year? And and do you see this series as as an interesting litmus test of that? 
I do. Um, which one's more important? I guess the, the answer for me would be uh, in, to ultimately win the cup, you, you need both. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get by with just one or the other. You're going to need both. You're going to need eight defensemen. You're not going to need six. I mean, that's the way it's going to work. You're going to you're going to have to have two or three forwards that you're going to be able to, to, to siphon back into the lineup because of injury or poor play. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, you could, if you're if you're just deep, um, you're you're not going to win. It's you, you might be able to squeak out some wins here and there, but you're not going to get past a, a quality team. Like I said, you need the high-end players, uh, and the high-end players have to play at a different level than they played at during the year. You know, that's that's where you're looking at at certain players. Yeah, McDavid hasn't done a ton yet in in Edmonton. He hasn't been bad. I mean, he's the best player on, on the planet. But you know, Drysaddle has just taken over. It, they, it, he's a guy right now. It's, you know, they've been focusing a lot on McDavid, and, and, and Leon Drysaddle has been un, almost unstoppable. If you don't have that high-end talent, you can you can be as deep as you want. You can add the Bukesteads and the guys who are important to their roster right now, but they're not they're not the ones that are going to be uh, expected to to turn in the performance that can change a series. And f- for that, you need the star player, and that star player has to raise his level. If they just play like they did during the year, it's it it probably isn't going to be good enough. The team that wins is going to their their high-end players are going to raise their game to a a different level. And that's the team that's going to be successful. Dave, that's a really interesting point about your best players needing to raise their level in the playoffs. Is there a way to know before you've seen someone do it in the playoffs that they're going to be that type of player, that type of star player who can find another level? Or is it simply a case of you're going to find out once they get in that situation? And, you know, I'd also add, is, have you ever been surprised one way or another by maybe somebody that you didn't expect to raise their game, but when the playoffs hit, they found another gear? Well, I think that there is something to be said about experience, and um, players think that they're that they're ready. All players think that they're ready. Uh, and if you know, I'll point to a to a series right now. A lot of people thought that that uh, New Jersey would would win that series. They still might. They, mm-hmm. they, they still could come back and win. Uh, they had a, a really good year. They're probably on paper a faster, quicker team. Than the New York Rangers, and people thought that that would be something that uh, uh, might be the difference in the series. Uh, that the Devils can play at such a higher pace than you know most of their opponents. The first two games, this doesn't look like a like a very good matchup. Uh, and you've got one team that is uh, hasn't been in the playoffs for a long, long time. They're, some of their better players have never seen an NHL playoff game. It's you know they're young, they're just getting getting into it, and it. They've, some of them haven't had great performances to date. Now, if they go out in four or five games, it doesn't mean that they're going to be poor playoff performers for the rest of their career. But what it does say to me is they weren't ready for this. And some players need uh, one series, two series, three series to get their level of, of game to where it needs to be, where they can be relied upon to carry the mail. And experience is an important factor in playoff hockey and there's there's only one way to get it so you, you don't want to write a guy off a young player off just because he may not perform outstanding uh in his you know in his first playoff or two um but you know if it becomes a trend and lasts for two three years and then that might be something you have to consider in terms of whether or not the player is a good fit long term 
I got an example from your Canucks tenure that I'm curious to to throw at you uh, about being surprised by a guy. Because I remember growing up watching those West Coast Express era Canucks teams and occasionally being frustrated by the decision-making of a really important player to your team. Um, but he was a high-event defenseman. He needed to mix it up, and it was Brent Sopel. And by the time he wins a cup, he's reinvented as the safe minutes guy on a third pair. And I remember watching that Chicago team and being like, I can't believe this is the same guy. Um, how does how do you track that sort of growth with a player as they go through their career? Maybe their role diminishes, but some of the experiences they experiences they might have had, um, you know, might translate in a different way than you might expect. Uh, have you seen something like that, or do you remember the Sopel example <laughs> that I'm talking about? Yeah, no, I do for sure. You know, one of the things that happens with certain players, and and not all of them can do it, is 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 acceptance mm. that this is what I have to do in order to be successful. Yes, you know, Brent Sopel was a was a decent offensive player, uh, but I don't think we could compare him with Kale McCarr. You know, it, <laughs> it's not there was there was no there was that wasn't the same kind of level of offense. Uh, and I think that for him to be successful, ultimately two things happened. Uh, one is he was put in a position where that was going to be his role. If he wanted to play, that was going to be his role. And mm. and then the second thing is he accepted it and, and became that player you're talking about. He was much, much more focused on playing quality uh, defense. Yeah, he could, he could provide some offense, but that wasn't his role. And they, he had success with it. So, Again, sometimes players do have to realize what they are, and it takes them some time to get there and and accept that that's a, the role they're going to play if they're going to play on a on a championship team. Dave, we, we t- we've talked about copycat uh, copycat league. We've talked about sort of um, experience drawing lessons, um, drawing lessons maybe too early in the playoffs. Um, is there a series that stands out to you so far that's uh, illustrative of whether it's the evolution of the game, uh, something you think uh, points at a direction that the league is going in. Has there been something you've seen in the early going that you think will matter from a team or roster building construction angle going into the offseason? Well, there's a couple things that, that I've, I've always believed. And I don't think that they've changed. Mm. Uh, and that is, uh, is offense wins games and defense wins championships. And I think that's still the case. Uh, you know, the, you look at the Vegas-Winnipeg series, last night's third period, Vegas had the offense uh, that was able to, to kind of overwhelm uh, Winnipeg. But in the first four periods of that series, it was the defense that was dictating who was the more successful team. And I think I think ultimately that's what you have to, you have to look at. Uh, yeah, you need to score goals, but um, you know, the – even the the Tampa um, Toronto game, we've had you know both teams have put up seven on different different nights. Uh, if the, if this continues in, you know into a five six or seven game series, it's not going to be the, the, the offense that's going to win. Mm. It's going to be the team that can that, that can shut down the other team's uh, offense, a team that is, that can play sound enough defense um, that they'll be able to win. So I, I think that's always the direction. Um, the pace of the game is so much better than it, than it ever was. So playing defense isn't just you know people have said it's like the trap or how you play in your own end. No, a, a lot of a lot of defense starts in the offensive zone. It's how do you forecheck? What do you do in the neutral zone? Again, you go, let's go back to the New York Rangers series. Mm. One of the reasons why New Jersey is having such difficulty is they all year they were successful in in 
converting turnovers uh, at their at their blue line and coming back the other way and they, and coming through the neutral zone with speed. They weren't able to do it the last two games. They may not be able to do it all just because of the way that that uh, New York Rangers are playing team defense. So um, the pace of the game is is really really high. And I think how the how teams are playing quality D has changed dramatically over the last 10, 15 years. Dave, really appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. And uh, we're actually off next week, but we'll uh, we'll catch up with you in a couple weeks. Sounds good. Take care, guys. Thanks, Dave. That is Dave Nonis, former Canucks general manager, former Leafs GM, longtime NHL exactly. You knew I was going to call you on it if you didn't get uh-huh. that in. Got to get it in. <laughs> Got to pay him the respect he deserves. Absolutely. Uh, he's awesome. Love, the, love chatting with Dave. The Vancouver Vinyl new NBA I know, team. I saw that. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Sign me up. Except vinyl is like an, I don't want to say fad. Look, like I have vinyl at home, so I'm not like taking shots at it. But it's not going to be always like the current big thing. Like that's like naming the, the team the Raptors because Jurassic Park is in the movie theater. Yeah, and that's cool. No, that's silly. A deeply silly thing to do. Raptors would be an okay team name if it wasn't specifically in relation to Jurassic Park. You know what I mean? Like, if you would just come up with, like, hey, let's name our team after dinosaurs, that would be fine. Yeah, but but, but the fact that you're riding on the coattails of a blockbuster is ridiculous. So during the during the NCAA tournament, it was the round of 32, I read my wife the team nicknames for all eight games that were okay. taking place one game, and, and I built a parlay off of her picks. And so, you know, we're, we're going through them, and yep. I'm like, Wildcats versus Wildcats. And she's like, where are they from? What? <laughs> Kentucky and Kansas. Well, we have family in Kansas. Okay. So, and she went seven for eight. There you go. And then the horned toads hooped her, who she'd picked over the bulldogs. Anyway, um, it was it was a hilarious day and a hilarious ferry ride, sweating a Gonzaga result with my wife. Um, my point being that, you know, nicknames are fun. And how is Wildcats versus Wildcats different than Raptors? Like, dinosaurs are every bit as relevant as, as Wildcats in lots of these places. No, I'm not saying it's because it doesn't have a connection to Toronto. I'm saying that it's like... Lots of dinosaur bones come from Canada. Okay. <laughs> no, it's so So you could it's, call them like, the Drumheller Raptors, but because it's no, Toronto. No, it has nothing to do with the location. There's Raptors That's finds. That's not what I'm arguing. There's Raptor finds in Ontario. That's not what I'm arguing. I'm saying that it was only done because of the movie. It'd be like if, like, in 2017, you're like, we're going to call our new team the Avengers. And I was like, oh, okay. Great. <laughs> I think that's cool. <laughs> what, what's, what? First of all, Marvel would sue you to stop that, probably. Amazing. Are you kidding me? The Brooklyn Avengers? Sign uh, me up. Yuck. That's great. You've got to choose something timeless, not something that's, you know, very much a moment in time. No, Anyway, Raptors are always going to be cool, Jamie. That is fair. Again, as I said, and in a different context, it could be a decent They're game. smart, they communicate, and they hunt as a pack. It's way better than Toronto Huskies or something. Come Although I, th- I do think they've discovered that Raptors were actually like the size of chickens or whatever, right? Turkeys, yeah. Yeah. Okay, wow. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean to step also, to you with inaccurate also, Raptor knowledge They here. also had feathers. They were like, really, they were just like mean birds. But so what? Who cares? Uh, all right. Enough of that. Dmitry Filipovich of the Hockeypedia cast. We're wrapping up the week. Up next with Dimitri. It's Canucks Talk, Sports at 650. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Uh, welcome back to Canucks Talk. Final segment of the week here. Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strance, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, Dmitry Filipovich of the Hockey PDO cast joining us in studio here. I do have to read this text, and we, you can weigh in on this as well, Dimitri. Yeah. Owen and Burnaby says, Jamie, the Raptors' name wasn't chosen just because of Jurassic Park. They knew they'd have a hard time converting Leafs fan early on, so they targeted kids. That's the biggest reason they chose Raptors' kids love dinosaurs. That's from Owen and Burnaby. Kids didn't know about dinos- or about Raptors until Jurassic Park came out. Raptors were not like a top five dinosaur that kids knew about until after Jurassic Park. That's my point. Jurassic Park introduced raptors into, like, kids' imagination. That's why they were riding on the coattails. If it had been, like, the T-Rexes or the Triceratops, that would have been completely different. Sorry, tri- Everyone knew about those. Try saying the T-Rexes is a team name. I'm the, not saying it would roll off the T-Rex. The Trexes? The Trexes. <laughs> yeah, no, I... Um, I'm just saying. I mean, you can't... They, the, there was not a pre-existing love for raptors until Jurassic Park. you can't put the cat Park. back in the bag. Mm. You know, that, that's being like, well, we were having a great time until the asteroid hit, if you were a dinosaur. <laughs> How do we feel about, like, names not being regionally specific? Right, so, like, the Utah Jazz. Yes. Well, I, that's, like, an extreme example. But the most extreme. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike the Raptors and of course, in, in, in the, Toronto. The L.A. Lakers. No, there's Raptor fines in, oh, in no, Don't worry, he's yeah. already addressed oh, this complaint okay. that I didn't even make. All right. <laughs> wasn't even what I was talking about. Uh, anyways, um... There have been raptor finds. <laughs> like, r- remains. Grant's <laughs> is really up on it. All right. Uh, all right. Well, l- l- enough of that. But we'll do our draft, I guess, later of genres of team names. Has, has he told you about this? You're ready? Yeah, Dom told me. And then I was looking it up. And I was like, what are the, what are the Philadelphia Flyers named for? And then I found an article that's like, there's no meaning. People just randomly chose. I think, just, I think the owner sounds cool. I think the owner's wife drew the logo or like a variation of the logo and they all liked it. No. A shocking number of the NHL teams held like votes in like the sixties mm. to name their teams. Right. And they're just like, all right, people just decided Flyers and that's where we're gonna name them. It means nothing. But it's cool. Yeah. Like it is cool and the branding is they cool. It goes Philly Flyers. Yeah. yeah. And right. they get the orange, like no one else really does orange. They have like a I mean, the ducks tried and it's a catastrophe, but like the Flyers have like a complete monopoly on orange. I've actually noticed that a lot watching this Wild Stars mm. series where Monopoly it's like, on green. Yeah, it's such a it's such mm. a treat to watch a green on green matchup as opposed to a blue on blue or black on black matchup, yes. which were such more a treat. It is. I like I'm genuinely enjoying watching that series more than I should. Now, I want to I want to start with that series beyond the aesthetics. Yes. Because to me it doesn't like to me of the series that are 1-1 that's the clearest one we've seen where I think one team truly can't hit the other's fastball. Yeah, 100%. Well, first off, my first point on the series, as you mentioned, aesthetically pleasing. Mm-hmm. The jerseys, the it, green is beautiful. It's awesome, yeah. Um, in terms of the actual analysis, though. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we. I think the Wild gave everything they had in that game one. Mm-hmm. They were holding on for dear life from the third period on through double overtime. They scored that goal off the lucky bounce. And then I think they acknowledged as such based on – their goalie choice in game two, they were like, we have no chance of winning this game, so we're just going to punt it, essentially. It's as close as we've seen to a team punting a playoff game. Now they're heading home. I'm with you, though. I think the Stars are just better at literally every single thing that the Wild kind of pride themselves on, beyond, I guess, being very physical. And so beyond Philip Gustafson, who's now rested, standing on his head, I just don't see how the Wild can keep up. They're just – and it's not – it's one of those odd ones where – 
I don't know that this like falls on Evanson. I don't know that it falls on Garen. Like I just think they're too fundamentally compromised down the middle of their lineup. Yeah, I mean, there's no Erickson. Eric Hartman's out now, and I'll, they have 15 million in dead cap. Like that's that's tough to navigate for sure. I, and there's, that's, I think the stars are really good. I really hope we'll talk about Kraken Avalanche as well. Yeah, I really would like to see a Stars Av series in round two, though. I think I think the the X's and O's of that would be fascinating. How much does the Pavelski absence hurt the Stars in this series, but also potentially down the road? Yeah, them? he's huge for them. I mean, that line is so perfect. They play so beautifully off each other. Now they bump Tyler Sagan up to that role, and he can kind of do a nice little. Um, impersonation yes, of that yes. and especially at this point of his career like the skill set that he has hands around the net um kind of playing a smart game playing off of those off of Hinson robertson so that helps but for a team that has better depth now than they had in the past it's certainly a blow to them and and um i'm not sure if they're going to feel it in this series but if they make a long run through the west that's where it'll it'll come up but obviously just hope pavelski is going to be fine because that was just really scary to see. that was tough yeah uh it also just seems i mean we all know like minnesota has a big weakness down the middle on, mm-hmm. with injuries as well that's contributing to it and then you also see like the way rupe hints is playing down the middle for the stars yes. and what he can do and it just yep. seems like an overwhelming mismatch at that position in particular yeah i was saying on my show he's almost playing at a different speed than everyone else the wild really yeah. have no answer for it and i don't think such a beast i think they understand that like they're not trying to keep up with him they're like <laughs> just trying to hit him every time to slow him down a little bit but it's it's not working because you have to catch him first to hit yeah. him um yeah when he's flying like that and i was saying like it feels like at home in particular, they have a really fun home crowd and it and he plays off of it and then he gives them reason to cheer. And so mm. it's this like nice symbiotic relationship where like it seems like him at home is just an entirely different animal than him on the road. Yeah, he's just a monster, like one of the most fun uh, players to watch for my money right now. Um, we've been raving about the Kraken Avalanche series. I mean, I know we're, we're two games into all these yes. series, but like that's been number one in terms of entertainment value for me. What's catching your eye in that series? I mean, that game, too, the pace it was played at throughout was just Ridiculous. remarkable. That was playoff hockey at its finest. There was hard hitting, but it wasn't that wasn't like the be-all, end-all. It was just part of the game. The four-on-four um, sequence at the end of the second period was like absolute chef's kiss, some of the most thrilling hockey I've ever seen. And, Tom, I know you tweeted about this, but I completely agree. Like, the fact that the Kraken sort of threw this first haymaker through the first five periods of the, or four periods of the yeah. series heading into the second period of game two, we're up 2 nothing, and then the Avs essentially just had to go like, all right, like now we're getting serious. We're, we're going NBA player deployment with Nathan McKinnon. Yeah. Straight up. And if you look at his on off splits, I know like they're dominating with him on the ice and they can, they can't generate anything without him, which worries me a lot about their ability to repeat as champions. Um, but in this series, I think his star power and McCarr playing at this level might be enough to, to squeeze by the Kraken. It's a really fascinating adjustment by Bednard because it's not, complicated right it's just like i'm throwing nathan mckinnon at the problem and mckinnon had one of the most willful individual performances i've maybe ever seen like um the only the only thing that comes to mind for me in terms of individual level dominance was do you remember when uh john Tavares just like ate the panthers for lunch in 2016 yeah but it's or yeah but it's like every 10 years we get a performance like this from, from an individual player to me, that was just about as good as one player can play in a game. Now, Bednar doesn't get a lot of credit because he was handed uh, an all-star team, essentially, especially last year. This year has fewer cards to play. I really like the adjustment in game two. He split up Taze McCarr, yep. which took a lot of cojones on his part because I don't think a lot of coaches would, would be willing to do that. He put Byram up on that top pair, mm. and they absolutely dominated in the offensive zone. And when he's out there with McCarr, they have that like five-man rotation where everyone is playing – 
different positions at all times. McKinnon's manning the point. Byram is behind the net. Um, so that's something to watch for fans, and I, I hope that continues because seeing Byram healthy and productive is really cool. So the Kraken take it to them for 80 minutes. Yep. The Avalanche take over for 40. Mm-hmm. But the Kraken weren't like overwhelmed. They weren't overwhelmed. Means. They got outplayed, but they weren't like blown off the ice. They were. They were. You have still to make some really good saves. They in were the latter half of that. They game. weren't blown off the ice, but they were overwhelmed at the top end of the lineup. When McKinnon was on, they were overwhelmed. They were, for but 40 they, they got their chances too. And maybe this is where like the difference in star star level shows itself. But like they had that at the end of the second period, that four on four you're the, mentioning, the, but he passes across ice. Yeah. Eberle just flubs it. That should have been a goal. Well, so did that? Was that a? Was that a? You come at the king, you best not miss. Yeah, moment? that might have been a reflection that I, I think McKinnon and Randon are probably burying that, and I think that might be kind of the difference between these two mm. teams. Now the Kraken have literally led the entire league in shooting percentage yeah. this season. So in terms of burying your chances, I, I, I'm not going to hold that one specific incident against them, but that's something to watch as the series goes. Really quickly, I'm just curious to get your take on this. So five-on-five uh, five ranks by Kraken first-line forwards, among other forwards on, on Seattle in last night's game. Okay, so this is Eberly, Veneers, yep. McCann. Yep. Uh, fourth, fifth, seventh. In terms of ice time, can they afford to play those guys like a middle six line, or do they at some point need to dance with the ones that brought them? Well, that's kind of the charm of this team. It is that depth and that ability to roll the lines. I certainly would like slightly more usage, but I will say through the first two games, Yanni Gord has been their best player. Yeah. Um, he dominated in game one. He had the incredible start that helped him give them that two-goal lead. You saw him just knock Val Nachushkin clean off his feet, basically, and he's like six inches shorter than him in the second period. Like, he is the ultimate playoff performer and player um, from his time with the Lightning. And so... I think they're viewing him as he's the matchup line against McKinnon. So if McKinnon's going to be on ice at all times, I think that's the way Seattle's going to operate and he's probably going to lead the team. So I'm, I'm okay with it from that point of view. But heading into Seattle, I'm curious to see whether they try to dictate the matchups a bit more. Um, Mark Stone. Yeah. Pr- pretty good player. Such a good player. His celebration after he scored the first of two goals in the third period last awesome. night was awesome. It was so cool. Really cool. I have no time for anyone hating on him for any sort of ca- cap shenanigans or anything. We need we need to, we need to talk about this because well, okay first of all hold on I don't have a problem with it even at the team level but if you're going to be angry at someone it's not the player you can't I, be angry at the player I know for but doing any it. anyone complaining about this just shows that they have a fundamental lack of understanding of what's happening in the league right now because your argument is that the Vegas Golden Knights while entrenched in a battle for the first seed in the West down the stretch were willfully holding out their most important player and captain so that they could acquire. Teddy Bluger and Jonathan Quick, neither of whom are on their playoff roster. It this wasn't a team holding out a player like Kucherov so that they could actually afford their other star players. This was a guy getting back surgery because his literal day to day life and quality of life is compromised, and now he's feeling healthier. And I hope that continues. I'm very skeptical. It will, by the way. I, uh, I agree but, with you. I hope that we get a long, healthy Mark Stone run because he's a he's a delight. Yes. to watch play hockey. Little brazen that. He returned in game one, though. <laughs> I can think two things at once. I, I believe course. I agree with you yeah. 100%, but I just want to know. It's, so, bra- well, it's brazen, brazen. But, the, but the president's been sad also. Like, the NHL is, like, kind of shrugged. And I know there was some talk, like, oh, we're really going to look into it. We're going to enforce it. But at a certain point, what are you going to do? No, my, my view is, too, is, like, everyone talked about the Kucherov thing as if it was so beyond the pale. But absolutely nobody took the time to offer sheet 
any one of Sorelli, Cernak, or Sergeyev that offseason. You don't want a team to have the space to pull that off? Don't let them. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. in your control. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, first off, you don't want to mess with Bax, and this is his second operation I believe he's had on it. Yeah. I'm not sold that he's even 100%. Like, I think he probably, in theory, could have come back at the the regular season and played. I don't think he miraculously got cleared for game one. No, it's I, but one I, of those I, things I also where... suspect that if it was the regular season still right now and there was no cap involved, he probably still wouldn't be playing because, like, the risk-reward wouldn't be worth it for him mm. to hurt his back again. So, I don't know. I... I'm fine with it. Winnipeg has held up better than I expected in that series yep. in terms of the five-on-five five game. Um, you know, it almost felt like Vegas got away with one to me in in that second game. Like, coming out of those two, I'm not looking at it thinking Vegas has found their footing the way I would have expected to feel if you told me that it would be 1-1 after a week. I'd have been like, wow, Hellebuck must have been really good. And that's kind of not what's going on. It looks like Winnipeg is absolutely Vegas's equal through two games. And also without Nick Ehlers, who Maybe in my opinion is their most important forward. I know that Rick yeah. Bonus probably doesn't feel the same way. But <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's a similar script so far to Colorado-Seattle in that mm. on the road, Winnipeg won game one, was out playing them through the first period or half half of the game, and then Vegas turned it on, started dominating off the rush, and the re- end of that game looked much more like what I expected heading into the series. Likewise. Um, so it is similar in that way, but Winnipeg can clearly play with them. Beyond the usage concerns that I have about what Rick Bonus does with his players, they have a lot of underlying trends. Like they're better def- defensively than they've been in the past. Their special teams, their power play hasn't been that good, but their penalty heals good. They have an awesome goalie. Like they might be a good team. I'm not bearing the New York Islanders yet. Well, Okay. Jamie, how do you feel? About so that? my my stance was if Carolina. Sorry, I meant that as a question. If Carolina, <laughs> I'm, I'm not bearing them. Should yet? I be? Should I be? <laughs> you forgot to raise your voice at the end. My, my bad. <laughs> it felt like a statement. Yeah. My, my stance was. Uh, I didn't if, mean to go Yorick on this. If show. the Hurricanes had lost and it was one one, they'd be in a world of trouble. I think down two nothing is probably too much for the Islanders. So I am kind of penciling in the Hurricanes, but. Like the Islanders were better than them in that second game. They needed some some pretty greasy goals against Sorokin and a big missed call in overtime to win that game. Like it easily could be one one with the Islanders having looked much better in game two. For sure. And the Islanders having last change now at home will help a yep. lot because the Hurricanes really like to play the matchup game with Jordan Stahl's line. And so I'm with you. I think that's really close. That second game in particular was really as close to a coin flip as you're gonna get. The Islanders will eventually win a couple of those. I could see this one going seven for sure. Yeah, I picked the Islanders in six initially, and it's like, ah, I don't think they're going to win. I don't think win. they're going to win four straight no, Well, now. I don't think they're going to win four straight. I probably wouldn't even choose them to win this series, but yeah. like, I feel decent about the process because you're seeing the vulnerabilities of uh, that Carolina team. Do you know why uh, Lindy Ruff scratched Jonas Siegenthaler? Oh, my God. What a disaster <laughs> class by Lindy Ruff. Uh, Tom texted me first, and then he tweeted it. And it reminded him of a, of a Willie Desjardins. It was a Willie D special. Yeah. Yeah, talk about it. It's a cautionary tale, like overreacting to one bad playoff game mm-hmm. where you lose 5-1, obviously look bad. Um, a lot of your concerns heading into the series were played out right before your eyes, so I get that. But literally scratching a top pair defenseman for a seventh D yep. in Brendan Smith and then 
bumping Miles Wood, who's a liability in this series because he takes a lot of penalties and the Rangers have one of the best power plays in the league, and we saw that play and out. And are crushing games. them on the power play. Bumping him up to a third line, I just I do not understand. They totally strayed away from everything that made them special during the regular season, yep. and that is so disappointing to well, see. You also have a fourth line option who you traded for at the deadline whose specific skill is does not take penalties yeah. in Curtis Lazar. Yeah. Like, you literally have the antidote. You want a guy who plays physically and never goes in the... You literally have, like... It's, it's a rare profile for a fourth-line player, and they acquired it. Yeah. They acquired it at the deadline. It, You know, anyone want to see Luke Hughes in this series? I'd Yo, like well, to see the, Luke it's, Hughes it's in this It's wild series, when too. you look at the, the group they could be rolling out on oh. defense, and then to mess it up by taking Siegenthaler out, it's just like, what? I'm way more worried about them than I am about the Islanders. Like, for the series? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah, like, I think... I think well, I they're picked, playing I, a superior team. The, the yep, Rangers are much sure. better than the Hurricanes. Yeah, in my but but also I just I'm, but the Devils are also superior to the Islanders. I'm yeah. just saying I pick both of those teams to win. I, I I legitimately am like I think I had it wrong on New Jersey because I didn't expect them to look anything like this. The the Islanders though I think that's uh, very much still a series. All right, we got to do it. We're drafting team nicknames, sports team nicknames, but like genres, genres. Okay, yes, the genres. You can go first. Uh, I'm gonna take this is easy, basic. Fierce land animals. Okay. Bears, lions, tigers, jags, panthers. Oh my. What? Oh my. <laughs> yes. Very good. Easy, iconic, simple. Great. Sorry, Wizard can't, of Oz references can't go are too wrong. obscure. Wait, so are we, are we going for a quality or a quantity approach? Or like how, quality. How, how, are we, quality. how are we grading like, this draft, like though? You because own... he, Jamie just listed a lot of names. Yeah. A lot of iconic franchises. The Chicago Bears? The yeah, Chicago he, Bulls also, he, also Chicago. He's just saying. He's just saying. He gets. He gets I get land all fierce mammals. Fierce land animals. La- fierce land animals. Yeah. sounds good. Mm. I appreciate that. Wow, you can Thank go next. You can go you next time. I, you, you you want the you want the I'm, I'm, sandwich I'm, spot. I'm doing the thing where I'm like I'm punting my pick because I don't love anything here and I'm just gonna circle back. Okay, I'm gonna take regional nicknames. All right. Okay. So that would be les habitants, the Canucks, the Yankees, the Islanders. Sure. Yeah. So regional inhabitants, um, nicknames. Do you get the now? Do you get the flyers? I don't get the flyers. No, no. I don't think anyone's ever called someone from Philadelphia a flyer. Ah, there goes that flyer. <laughs> Classic flyer move right there, <laughs> guy from Philly. <laughs> All right, you're on the clock. Um, oh wow! All right. Um, wow, this is a tough. You got to make two picks. I, I have to take Snake. both. Yeah. All right, I'll take um, like uh weather slash climate sure, yeah. events here yeah. like the hurricanes yep. the lightning the thunder um i guess i'll include the avalanche in that too right mm-hmm. and then um you definitely get the avalanche too and then i'll take birds yeah birds is birds a is a really it's a really good one. i just saw ravens on jamie's yeah. screen now here. I'm I, was like, thinking, I like the ravens. i was thinking of cutting it between yeah. uh like fierce birds and non-threatening oh. birds <laughs> but you can have all the birds i'll give it to you i wouldn't have done this without a great text in from the inbox but i'm taking sorcery names <laughs> The Magic and the Wizards, I'm taking the Sorcery class nicknames right here. Uh, I'm really excited about this pick. I'm going Professions. Ooh. Mariners. And these are all like local, good, good <laughs> local tie-ins. Mariners. Packers. Mm. Brewers. Yep. Steelers. Very cool. Oilers. Yep. Like local Professions. Senators. I like that. <laughs> Senators. Yeah, not quite as cool, but yeah. The Los Angeles <laughs> Kings. No, that's yeah. royalty. That's, that's a different royalty. Yeah. I'm going. I'm going professions, and then I think I have a you, second. So pick wait, too. I need to know though. Do you get Dallas the ve- Cowboys? When you pick, when you pick professions, yeah. do you or do you not get millionaires? 
No, that's not a profession. I think it that's can like be. class position. Yeah, it's not <laughs> a, a socioeconomic status. Being a millionaire not a is not your job. It's not your job. It can be if you, if you dream big. <laughs> and then, uh, all right, I have a I have another one here to make. Hmm. Oh, this is tricky. I'm gonna go with like. Uh, oh man, I don't even know. I'm gonna go with uh, aviation. Oh, nice. The jets, jets, the rockets, the flyers. <laughs> I guess. I'm sure there's other ones. I just kind of threw that out there. Yeah, nice. So you there have, you go. Well, you have two pairs of Jets there, right? Yeah, so, exactly. So we have two more picks to make. Yeah. I'm going to go quick here because I know we're we're running low on time. Um, I'm going to take human warriors. All right. So, like, the warriors. warriors. I think I get the Maple Leafs because that's named after a military battalion. Sure. Stuff the like that. The commanders. Yeah. Human fighters. Yeah, that's a good one. Do you get, yeah. does, that, does that include the Giants? I don't think it includes no. the Giants. That's Mythical Beasts tier. <laughs> okay. No, it doesn't. Um, you okay. close us off. Sorry, I hate to keep bringing this up. Do you get the Flyers with aviation? <laughs> I, I, I think so. I think yeah. so. I'm yeah. still so. unclear on which de- like which group. I think I, I do. I think I do. All right, I'll take sea creatures to end it. All right. Yeah, I like it. That's Perfect. good. Sharks, Kraken, yeah. dolphins. Yep. That's a good one. Yeah. All right. Sea creatures. Good. I like that one. Yeah. No, really Very good. Very good. All right. Uh, we're off next week. Uh, we will be back the following week. Enjoy it. It is Sportsnet 650. Chuck Norris characters. Texans.